Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. I'm not much of a policy wonk, except when it comes to the debt ceiling and the dangers of not raising it. That's why I've asked Shai Akabis, Director of Economic Policy at the Bipolicy Policy Center, to come on this week's episode to explain it, what it is, what it isn't, and what might happen if it, the legal limit on federal borrowing, isn't raised. I know about all of this because of Shai, and you'll get to learn all about it from him in plain English right now. Shai Kavis, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Great to be with you, John. Okay. So we got to get something out of the way right now. A lot of people, when they talk about the debt ceiling, they think that it also means government shutdown, and they're not the same. So what is the difference between a government shutdown and the, and the debt ceiling crisis that people are talking about for September? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And this time around, it's actually even worse because they're happening at roughly the same time. Right. So it's actually adding to the confusion. The government shutdown is something that's happened periodically over the years. There was a very famous one back in the 1990s when the Republicans in Congress and Bill Clinton were in budget battles with one another. It's really a partial government shutdown. And it means that the portion of the budget that Congress appropriates each and every year, so that's for federal agencies, sometimes including the Defense Department is packaged in there. If those appropriations don't get passed by the beginning of the fiscal year, which is on October 1st, then there's no funding for that portion of the government, and what they call non-essential employees have to be sent home. So basically, a lot of basic government services either slow down or shut down until the budget's shutdown is resolved and they pass appropriations. And that's when things like uh, national parks get shut down, the Lincoln Memorial has that silly barrier put around it so no one can use it. Exactly. And so it's a lot of disruption and disturbances. And frankly, it probably costs the government a lot of money because they have to spend time shutting things down and then reopening things. But it's not a massive economic shock to the system. Okay. So the massive economic shock to the system is blowing through the debt ceiling. First thing, what is the debt ceiling? The debt ceiling limits the amount that the government can borrow. So Congress put this into effect actually exactly 100 years ago. It was in 1917. Before that, they'd been telling the government each and every time they borrowed, you can borrow this exact amount for this exact purpose. Since then, they've just put a cap on the amount that the government can borrow. So it started, it was a few billion dollars, I think. Now we're up to close to $20 trillion. <laughs> and it's grown over time. And each, roughly every year, every couple of years, Congress has passed an extension of the debt limit to allow the federal government to continue borrowing more. As the economy has grown, we've continued to need to borrow more money. But what's happened now is that we've already committed to certain spending obligations that the federal government has, whether it's Social Security benefits, payments for Medicare and Medicare serv Medicaid services that doctors are providing, uh, welfare payments, payments to defense contractors that supply our military with their equipment, payments to our troops or our civil servants. All of those are pieces of funding that have already passed, and we don't have enough revenues coming in, taxes coming in, to pay for them. So what we have to do when there's a difference is we have to borrow additional funds. But since we're bumping up against that borrowing limit, the debt limit, the Treasury Department can't actually borrow the additional funds that are needed to pay all of those bills. And to be clear, dear listener, raising of the debt limit is not a quote-unquote blank check to spend more. It is money that the government borrows to pay for stuff it's already bought, to just boil it down to everyday language. That's right. Now, 
you said at the beginning of this answer that the confusion between government shutdown and debt ceiling is especially confusing now because they're both happening at the same time. Explain why they're happening at the same time. Sure. So the government shutdown can happen each and every year at the beginning of the fiscal year, which is on October 1st. Uh, October 2nd is the first weekday this year of the fiscal year. And that can happen if Congress doesn't pass its appropriations. So if there aren't spending bills passed, then Congress, then the government cannot spend on the departments and the pieces of spending that are called discretionary, meaning that Congress appropriates them each year. That's not Social Security. That's not Medicare and Medicaid. Those are all referred to as entitlements or mandatory spending. But again, those discretionary portions can't be spent. The debt limit this year just happens to be occurring at roughly the same time period. So the debt limit was suspended for about a year and a half. Congress passed a piece of legislation saying that it wouldn't be in effect for that period of time. And then it came back into effect on March 16th of this year. And since then, Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin has been using accounting maneuvers that they call extraordinary measures, which basically gives us a little bit of a grace period to stay under our debt limit and keep paying all of our bills. But that's about to run out when we get, we think, at the Bipartisan Policy Center in the early to mid-October timeframe. He'll have exhausted all of those measures and there won't be enough funds to pay all the government's bills in full and on time. And the, the Bipartisan Policy Center has this thing that it calls the X date. Explain what the X date is and why that is extremely important. Sure. The X date is that day on which the government can't meet all of its obligations. So each and every day, the government sends out millions of payments, and they're for a wide variety of programs that could include Social Security payments on specific days of the month. Again, it could be payments to civil servants who are owed their salaries, to doctors who are providing services under Medicare or Medicaid, on and on and on and on. And it also owes money to certain trust funds on a regular basis under law. And on a day when it no longer has additional borrowing authority, because again, it's used up all of its extraordinary measures and is up against its debt limit, and it no longer has any cash reserves on hand, and it doesn't have enough tax revenues coming in to pay the bills, something can't, something's got to give. Something can't get paid. And that's the day that we call the X date, when the, the Treasury Secretary will be sitting there with not enough revenues coming in the door to pay all the bills that he has to pay. So October 2nd, is the first day of the fiscal year 2018. October 2nd is also the date when, by law, $81 billion has to be transferred to the Military Retirement Trust Fund. That's right. I'm looking at a cash flow analysis that the Bipartisan Policy Center has done every time we've hit a, a debt ceiling crisis, and it's unbelievably useful and helpful, and um, you'll be able to find it on the WashingtonPost.com website when I write my piece that goes along with this. But I want you to explain something to me. So in this sheet for what's supposed to happen on Monday, October 2nd, 2017, the daily inflow, this is the money that the Treasury Department will have on hand if the debt ceiling is not raised. The Treasury will have $33 billion in revenues to pay $68 billion in committed spending. That is on top of the $81 billion? That's right. So the $81 billion is already shaved off of this $68. Correct. So the government will be able to meet this $81 billion payment 
but it still has another $68 billion in bills with only $33 billion in cash to actually pay them. Exactly. Those are our projections. So we don't know that those numbers will all be precisely correct, but you've laid out exactly what the scenario is going to be. So they're going to have a large trust fund payment that by law needs to be made. And then on top of that, they have about $68 billion of spending that is supposed to be going out the door, and they will not have nearly enough cash coming in to pay for that. Now, we don't know that October 2nd will be the day that they run out of their other cash that they have in their, in their bank account, but it could be, and that's what we're showing in this presentation. It could also be a couple days later, but on a lot of days, the government does have deficits, not necessarily as big as that one that you just cited, but many days, the cash coming in is not enough to pay all the spending going out, and that's because we have an annual deficit as a country. And, and talk about on that particular day, on October 2nd, what are the things that could possibly not be paid? So they include things like Social Security benefit payments. There's a big interest payment that's owed on U.S. debt. Now, our understanding is that the Treasury Department will do everything in its power to prioritize what's called those debt payments to make sure that our bondholders get paid in full and on time, because, of course, the full faith and credit of the United States is of utmost importance. But there's also things like veterans benefits payments and civil service retirement payments, people who have worked for the federal government that are owed their retirement benefits. And something's going to have to give on whatever day ends up being the X date. It could be October 2nd. It co could come a little bit later. But part of the problem here is that there is a lot of uncertainty because this is around how much money the government's going to take in and spend out each and every day, and we can't predict that exactly. So we don't know when this day will come, but we do know that there will be a day on which the government can't meet all of its obligations unless Congress passes legislation on the debt limit. During congressional testimony earlier this year, Mick Mulvaney, who is the White House budget director, during congressional testimony was asked about the debt ceiling and whether the administration was in favor of a clean debt ceiling bill, which we'll get to in a minute. But the thing that Mulvaney said that scared the bejesus out of me was that he said that tax revenue was coming in lighter than expected. Why was I correct, assuming I was correct? in being frightened by that one little thing that he just threw out there. So he did say that, and actually the data that we've seen does support that in, in the sense of there were some high-income taxpayers who were expecting tax reform would happen sometime this year, and it, of course still might, and they pay taxes on a quarterly basis. And they have some ability, in, in different cases, to delay income that they're receiving so that it might occur next year under a lower tax rate, hypothetically. And then the federal government then, if that happens, takes in less revenue this year. And so I think Director Mulvaney was alluding to that possibility. We've seen that happen a little bit, but it hasn't had a dramatic impact on the time period that we're projecting the uh. government to run out of cash. So it's been, it's had a little bit of an impact, but not overwhelming. We're still projecting in that early, mid-October range. Originally, we had said October or November, so we right. narrowed it and put, moved it a little to the earlier end. Okay, so what you're saying, Shai, is that I hyperventilated <laughs> uh, for, for no reason, but, but not exactly for no reason, because here we are uh, about a month out, and Congress hasn't done anything. And one, what I mentioned earlier is that you know, uh, Mulvaney was asked about whether the administration supported a clean debt ceiling bill, a, a, a clean bill to raise the legal limit on federal borrowing. What does a clean debt ceiling bill mean? 
That's really important. So in the past, it's actually been a little bit of a different dynamic where it's been a Democratic administration, uh, President Obama, and a Republican Congress battling over the debt limit and about what other budget priorities they have. Which is what happened in 2011. Exactly. 2011, 2013. It's ha it happened several times. And under that situation, the administration kept insisting that the debt limit legislation be a clean piece of legislation, meaning that it didn't have any other priorities tacked onto it, whether it's you know a Planned Parenthood piece of uh, pr provision or some other legislative priority that Republicans had. They were saying, we don't want any of that attached. It should just be clean. We need an extension, and we need it now. We're now in a dynamic where it's a Republican administration, of course, and a Republican Congress. But nonetheless, the administration has requested a clean debt limit increase, meaning a standalone bill that extends the debt limit. But members of Congress have some differences there, and there are certainly conservative members who want to see spending reforms or other riders attached to this legislation. And now you've gotten a dynamic where even some Democrats are saying, well, if you're asking us for a debt limit vote, we might have our own priorities that we want to add on to this legislation. And so it's complicated the mix quite a bit. I mean, that would be just bananas if Democrats decided to play chicken with, with the debt ceiling, given the dynamic that's happening between Congress and the administration. So you said something that I had not heard or understood. So the administration is clear. They want a clean debt ceiling bill. So you're right that there was confusion originally and there were mixed messages coming out. I think since then they have clarified that they are requesting a clean debt ceiling and bill, that's is my understanding. Okay, and that's great to know because Mulvaney, the budget director, was saying, hey, maybe we should you know, get a little something for this. But Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin has been clear since his confirmation hearings mm -hmm. the debt ceiling must be raised, it, there must be a clean debt ceiling bill. And even as Treasury Secretary, there were moments where they were Mulvaney and Mnuchin were saying, opposite things, which it was another thing, another piece that I wrote where my hair was on fire. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> oh my God. So let's say the clean debt ceiling bill doesn't happen. First, have we ever been through anything like this before? Has the debt ceiling never been raised before and the federal government has crashed right through it? No. So if we get to that point where we hit what we call the X date, where they can't make all the payments, that would be unprecedented in the modern era. No time in the, in the again, hundred the years. Modern, yeah, basically the hundred years have we been to a point where they couldn't make all the government's payments in full and on time. There was a little episode way back, I believe it was in the 1950s, where they got very, very close and they may have actually delayed some very small payments to make sure there wasn't an issue. There's not a whole lot of information out there about that, but you know, that's 60 plus years ago. Mm -hmm. In the modern global international market economy, we've never experienced anything like would happen if, if that occurred. And I think it's important for, for listeners to understand that there are so many different impacts that could happen but there's a lot of risk and uncertainty around it because, again, we've never been in such a situation. So we already talked about that there are certain payments that are owed that might not get paid if we're in a period where we've reached the X date and they can't fulfill all of our obligations. There's also a lot of uncertainty when it comes to the government's ability to borrow in the markets because our investors are going to be probably a little concerned <laughs> that the government bit. isn't making all of its payments, even if they say, don't worry, bondholders, we're going to pay all of our principal and interest payments to you. We're just not paying these other people who are owed money from the federal government. So it's really uncertain what, how investors would react to that. Would they just maybe ask for a little bit of a premium? Would they throw up their hands and say, I'm not going to hold this debt because I don't know if you're paying me? We just really don't know. 
And then there's sort of the broader market implications of could this mean another downgrade of our debt? So in 2011, S&P, one of the ratings agencies, downgraded U.S. debt from AAA down to their, I believe it's AA plus or one rating below AAA to reflect the fact that there was so much uh, dysfunction and confusion over whether they were going to address the debt limit as an issue. And so there's a concern now that other ratings agencies might follow suit if we actually got and passed the X date. So the other thing is, okay, so what we're talking about now is all sort of, you know, way up here, the government's, you know, bondholders and people being paid on time and paying a premium and interest rates. But if we crash through the debt ceiling, there will be real world impacts on people who are listening to this podcast. So what could possibly be the impact on interest rates on things like home mortgages, car loans, student loans, there's got to be some Im- like e- almost immediate impact, right? Absolutely. I mean, if we actually missed a debt payment and interest rates spiked, now I don't think that's likely. It's never happened in the modern era. But if that happened, treasuries, U.S. treasuries set the base for almost all other interest rates throughout the economy. So your savings account at a bank, your mortgage, your credit cards, your student loan debt payments, if they're, you know, especially in the private sector. And so this could really have shockwaves throughout every person in the country's experience as they go through the day-to-day economy. Not even to mention, to get back to our earlier discussion of the payments that they might be expecting from the federal government that might be missed. Right. So your interest rates spike. Your Social Security check doesn't doesn't come through. Um, People are in for a a world of hurt. And you've said many times, and and we must reiterate this, because this has never happened in the modern interconnected global age, we have no idea what the real world impact will be. We all just know that it's going to be bad. One thing that's been been talked about, and you've alluded to it before, is is this prioritization that the government will pay. Like so, for instance, on October second, there's an interest payment of seven point four billion dollars. That'll get paid, and then maybe some of these other some things will have to be pushed off to another day. Theoretically, on paper, you can do that, but the problem comes in: everything's automated, everything's computerized. How does the Treasury Department? prioritize when its system, computer system, is locked and loaded to just automatically pay? How do you stop that? Yeah, so there's close to 100 million bills that are paid each and every month. And so you, know, you can imagine the Treasury Secretary sitting down on the floor of his office and trying to sort out which of those hundreds <laughs> right. of millions of bills he's going to be paying. But you know, in, in a very serious way, this is the choices that he's going to be faced with. His job, Secretary Mnuchin's job, is to carry out the spending authority that Congress has given him. They've told him, you're going to pay Social Security beneficiaries, you're going to pay doctors who are providing medical services, you're going to pay your employees in the federal government, on and on and on. It's not his job to say, well, we're going to pay these people, but not those people. His job is to carry out what Congress has told him. But in this case, Congress actually isn't letting him carry out their spending instructions because he doesn't have the borrowing authority that he needs to get the cash to pay those bills. So he'll be in a very difficult situation and making decisions about who to pay, when to pay them, which bills to delay so that he can wait until he has enough cash coming into the Treasury to pay them. And it's all very uncertain. So what we've tried to emphasize throughout our analysis is that since we've never been there before, 
all these effects that we're talking about, we don't know whether they'll materialize, but it could be just as bad. It could be even worse than we're talking about, or maybe it won't be quite as bad. But to put the U.S. in a position where we're worried about these catastrophic impacts, I think should certainly be concerning to every American. And it's not just that bills aren't going to be paid and some people are going to get hurt. There's the added dynamic in all of this, and that is that the dollar, U.S. Treasuries, I mean, that's the global currency. That is the that is the benchmark. And what happens to the global financial system if the benchmark is eroded by something like this? Yeah, and we really don't know. I mean, I'm struck by having spoken to many members of Congress and their staffs about this issue over the years. I don't believe that there's really a single member of Congress who wants us to default on our debt. That's really out of the question. Some have talked about this prioritization where they want us to go into a period where we, the secretary is deciding which bills to pay so that we can ultimately get some what they want to see as fiscal responsibility and put in place policies that control the debt. But none of them really want to default on the debt. The problem is that if we get into a situation where the government's not making certain payments and nobody really knows what's going on because we've never been in this position before and investors are saying, wait a minute, what is going on with this U.S. government that's not paying all of its bills? It might get out of policymakers' hands very, very quickly. And we saw that with, for example, the financial crisis when mm-hmm. they tried to pass emergency legislation, but the markets had already moved way past that point. And there's a concern that we could get there again with this situation if policymakers think they're in control and deciding when to do things. But because there's so much risk and uncertainty, it really gets out of their hands very, very quickly. And to think back then, those were, were lawmakers who were rational. That was pre-Tea Party. That was pre-everything that we know now. And that's why I am always so, <laughs> I'm even extra freaked out by what's happening with the debt ceiling. One last question. I mean, you're like a child. Have you even hit 30 yet? I am about to hit 30. You're about to hit 30. And yet you are steeped in something so complex, so consequential. How on earth did you get interested in all of this? So it's actually really interesting. We've done a lot of work uh, over the years at the Bipartisan Policy Center on debt in general. So we had a background in fiscal policy. But in 2011, I had just been at the Bipartisan Policy Center for a couple of years at that point. And this debt limit issue came to a fore in the summer of 2011 when Republicans in Congress were basically saying that they didn't believe Treasury Secretary uh, Tim Geithner at the Mm -hmm. time. And they were saying, he's telling us we have to act on the debt limit, but we don't believe that. And so we came in at the Bipartisan Policy Center, and actually my boss at the time was Jerome Powell, who's now a governor at the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve. Uh, He and I were the ones who were doing the research on this, and we basically made presentations to members of Congress to just present them with the facts. We weren't trying to weigh in on one side or another, but there was so little understanding on Capitol Hill of this issue, and we felt it was really important to get people up to speed because of the consequences that it could have and give them a sense of what the world could look like if action was delayed on this issue. And because of, because of that and the charts that you've made, I have become a debt ceiling nerd. Um, even on the Hill, some folks are like, you really care about this. And I care about it because of the great work that, that you personally, Shai Akabis, and also you, meaning the Bipartisan Policy Center, have, have done. So thank you very much for coming on to explain this. Uh, hopefully everyone will understand. Shai Akabis, Director of Economic Policy at the Bipartisan Policy Center, thank you very much. 
Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate the kind words and for having me on. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. If you like Cape Up, you should check out some of our other great podcasts. Like Can He Do That? with Allison Michaels, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. Or try Constitutional, a series about how people have framed and reframed the Constitution over time from host Lillian Cunningham. You can find these shows anywhere you listen to podcasts and learn more online at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. The Washington 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 Post. Post.